0: Thanks for tuning in to the 168 Podcast, a podcast from Mitchell Knight and Jordan Byrd of the Clarence Church of Christ, aimed at helping you connect Sunday worship with everyday life.
1: Hi, everybody. Today we're going to talk about uh, a seasonal theme, if you will. We're going to talk about... Uh, the incarnation of Jesus, which is really just a fancy term of talking about God taking on flesh to live with us, in the form of Jesus being born. So, we're going to talk a little bit about that topic, but we're going to specifically talk about it and discuss the idea of how God's character is revealed in Jesus being born and and God coming to earth and the humility that that took to make that all happen and. So we're going to focus on that humility and the ramifications of the humility that God shows in coming to live here on earth in the form of Jesus. The first thing we're going to look at is humility in existence. The second thing we're going to look at is humility in situation. And then lastly, we're going to look at how that humility or those two aspects of humility make the message of Christ attractive. So first, let's look at humility in existence. So First, we want to focus on the way in which God showed humility in it through the whole act of Jesus coming to earth and, and being born. Do you want to kind of flesh that out for us? I guess not pun intended there <laughs> yeah. for us, Mitch.
0: Yeah, those puns are a fair game at this time of season. <clears throat> so for me, I think that the incarnation demonstrates humility um, And it it kind of ties to how Jesus described and showed us what love is. It's really kind of the first example of that love. You know, love is giving of yourself for somebody else's interest. And, you know, for him, you know, he's God. He doesn't need to put on a human nature, but he loves us so much that he humbles himself. And he he doesn't count his status as God as something um, that would make him want prevent that would prevent him from wanting to do this he wanted to be in flesh like us he wanted to lower himself to our level he wanted to do life with us he didn't just want to communicate with us from afar he wanted to see what we went through and he wanted to you know as a man as one man brought sin into the world he wanted to be the man who took it out and i think he did that and demonstrated his love for us as a human out of his own humility i hope did I flush that out enough?
1: Yeah, I was gonna touch on that too. Just the idea that to even talk about God humbling Himself means that He's coming from a place of prestige or of glory to start with. So to even talk about this whole reality of like, what's He humbling Himself from? Well, He's humbling Himself from being God, from being the Creator of all, uh, from the One who needs nothing, and yet He's at least as paul talks about in philippians 2 uh, being a very nature god jesus you know being god's son coming to to be born on earth did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage so you know gives up the right to that if you will like he doesn't appeal to all the glory he could instead comes to take on the situation that we find ourselves in as human beings and the situation that God finds human beings in is not the situation of the garden where Adam and Eve initially were it's not the one of uh where everything is hunky-dory if you will in, in the garden it's the one where everything's a mess where there's war where there's suffering where there are tears where it's not always pleasant and most of us on, on a lot of different times in our life and in many, maybe most days are longing to not be in the situation we're in. And yet God willingly chose to step into that reality when he doesn't have to, there's nothing holding him to have to deal with that reality. Yet he chose to step into that reality and make it something that he had to deal with in a flesh and blood body. And so that's, to me, that's, that's a little bit how I see it um, playing out. Um, God, Taking on something he didn't have to deal with, but yeah, he chose to out of his love um he loved the creation that he made, including us as human beings, so much that he didn't want to just see a waste away, but he actually wanted to come to be near to it to experience the suffering that it goes through, which will um you know touch on our little bit of our next topic here uh but then to eventually redeem us out of that situation you want. Shed any more light on on that issue at all?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just to me, I, I it, it's always cool that you know we talk about the cross and how much Jesus suffered, but in a way, you know, we know that he was tempted and always we were, but didn't sin. I mean, after he was baptized, he was tempted for forty days in the desert. He willingly h- humbled himself and became a human, and he got to experience this kind of suffering, you know, this non-garden existence before the cross. He experienced being tempted, and he experienced the brokenness of people because as a person he directly interacted with other people. So I think just for me that's, um, just right now that's something that's just cool to me. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting on my end to think about God because, Coming like us, I mean, it's even weird just to like phrase it that way, because like, w- why would God want to become something lesser, or like take on the reality or the experience of something lesser? That's like me wanting to experience the life of an ant, and like the microscopic world that that would entail, compared to the the broad reality of life that I get to enjoy as a human being. And yet, God loved you know, his human creation beyond just the rest of creation so much that he wanted to come to, to be near to, to us. And I think that has always struck me, um, especially this time of year when I think about, um, just the concept we sing about in the songs of Emmanuel, God with us, that's what that means. But the idea that God wants to be with us. And it's just, I mean, that strikes so impactful because, In a lot of situations in life, the thing we long for the most is is to just not be alone in a situation, but to have someone else to be there with us. And in this entirety, in this entire thing we call life, God has come to be with us in it. Like he hasn't just left us alone. I mean, some of the imagery that comes to my mind is just thinking about Anything I've had my hand in being a part of creating, I mean, to the limited degree that I can create it, not like God, obviously, but like, I mean, just think of like a a Word document or something, like, or just anything like write like write down a note of something. Like I may scribble something down, but if I mess it up and cross it out or it's not what I want it to be for long-term, like I just crumple it up and throw it away. God could have treated us just like that like as, as the creation that he made, it messed up. Okay. That's it. No more. I don't, I don't really care about it. I'll, you know, move on to something else. Maybe we don't see that in scripture, but, um, but yet, no, God like actually wants to become like the thing he created. And I mean, just from a human standpoint, I think that's just a very impactful reality.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, it's the totality of the character of God coming to fruition that we saw in the Old Testament um, up until the birth of Christ. I mean, basically, he, he always wanted to be near us. He basically traveled with us in a moving encampment, essentially. He always wanted to be near, and this is everything that the Old Testament was pointing to was this this moment, was the birth of Christ, was actually moving alongside us, and like Jordan's saying, not being far off, but being near and wanting to do life with us rather than just talk to us about it. You know, I, because sometimes people say like, oh, you know, there's such a disconnect between the God of the Old Testament and the New, but really there's so many links that it's, it's just uncanny, like to me, that that, that kind of thinking can come about. I mean, the news hidden in the, I think, yeah, the news hidden in the old and the old's revealed in the new is a good quote about that, but I could take us to the next topic unless you want to
1: add yeah i just i just thought one more thing of i mean part of what we hope to do in this podcast is bridge sunday morning to you know monday through saturday if you will and i think this this topic hits at that in one sense Mm -hmm. that we can often i think be tempted to think that God, or we just encounter God being with us, like, on Sunday morning, or, like, that's the only place we look for him to be, and yet, the birth of Jesus, God becoming enfleshed, and this will I think, will tie into what we talk about here next, takes on everyday realities of life in the life that he comes to live in, the person of Jesus, it touches on his growing up, you know, how he's reared, what he's educated in, the work that he eventually takes on like things that we think about as everyday existence not just the things we do on sunday morning but yet god came to be with us in the everyday realities of our life and he took on those realities which i think bridges us into our next uh, thing here of the humility of situation that that god stepped into and the humility to be born into a variety of different things uh, one being a shameful situation and that could be from two different aspects of one he was born into a family that wasn't like super well off i mean they're maybe average at best uh but shameful in the sense that he he was born to a mother who you know technically wasn't even fully married at the time she became um she was you know aware that she was pregnant and Then he, now, and he's also born into a family where the father that he has, the earthly father isn't the one who, you know, where he was conceived from. So, like, there's this disconnect there of, like, well, if your parents didn't do that together, how are you here? I mean, there's just all that brings up questions that bring about a shameful situation for a culture that had very, like, specific ways in which that process is supposed to happen. I mean, not unlike ours today, especially in in a Christian culture where, um, we're trying to adhere to the way in which God created male and female to be married and and to to live that out in, in the way that God designed it. Um, but, I mean, and there, those things are part of the situation he was born into. And then the last last one, at least, that I, I know is he was born as a baby. I mean, there's nothing vo- more vulnerable to be born as. Um, there is a whole lot that God put himself to be dependent on human beings that are flawed to help. Raise him as a human being, which is just like poof, when you think about that, like how many of us would put ourselves in the most vulnerable situation and make ourselves dependent on people who are fallible it's not i mean we we have no choice and that we're human beings, but like that's not my if i like pick an ideal situation that's not the cho- the situation I would probably choose, but why don't you add on any more of your thoughts to to that idea?
0: yeah, I think this demonstrates the humility that Christ had to like an extreme degree because he arguably picked for the culture at the time, he probably picked the worst situation to be brought into the world into. And I think that demonstrates what we were talking about earlier his reputation is essentially royalty. There's no one greater than Jesus. You know, he wasn't born in some magnificent way in some kind of, you know, immaculate building or castle. He was brought in into a manger yeah that's from, another
1: good one to bring up
0: yeah from a virgin mother who was kind of marrying to Joseph but not really so then you, like what you're talking about there's the whole well how did you get pregnant if it wasn't from your basically soon- to-be husband and even if it was it's still kind of like okay well that's not cool you shouldn't do that um you know it, to the point where there's so much Like, shame for Joseph that he was planning on quietly divorcing her, but it wasn't until intervention that he decided against that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, he chose against extravagance and chose something that's more relatable, uh, that's more human. I mean, you know... I think a lot of us, you know, especially around Clarence are probably born into a nice situation in terms of like, you know, being born in a hospital or something like that. But that's not always the case. I mean sometimes things like this happen. I mean, sometimes the the greatest circumstances aren't around and I, I feel like it's just another example of him lowering himself to be like us and to the to the greatest extent and like the worst social situation you're not the greatest place to be born um and then also the social consequences that could have arisen from it but those are just some of my thoughts on it
1: yeah and i think again just looking at this aspect of humility again points to the everyday situation that god stepped into to be with us um He meets us where we are, right? I mean, this is sort of, like, highlighted, I think, all throughout Scripture, but this is one way in which we see it very much sort of pop out, if you will. Like, he doesn't want to come to be with us when we have it all together, when we are a person who has means or in a certain position or you name it. Like, he comes to us whatever state we're in because he knows that we're all people in need ultimately, and, um, but yeah, I, I think again, it just points to like God wants to meet you wherever you are. um, it doesn't matter what state you're in, what situation you're in. um and even no matter where you are, like again, we often think of like God meeting us like at a building at this specific time each week, and yet God wants to meet us in the everyday aspects of our life, just like God met um his parents and the people who are all a part of His birth. In the aspects of their life, whether that was uh, preparing a room for, for people or whether it was taking care of animals or you name it, like all these different people had a, a, a hand to play in him coming, but God met them where they were. He didn't come to Herod in the palace. He didn't come to, I mean, he still could. It's not that he couldn't, but I think the, the lowliness in which he meets people Um, God showed up to the people who probably least expected it, and that's probably mostly what stands out. Um, And I think most of us would be, are are more shocked to think that God wants to meet us where we are, because we are tempted to believe that we need to sort of meet God like part way or something like that, or meet him at his, where he is, and it's like we're never going to be there. Um, But because God knows that we're needy. He's not needy. He He has the expense, if you will, to be able to meet us where we are, which is something super cool to think about. That that's part of the character of God as well. Uh, why don't we move into how these two relate to um, our third um, aspect here, and that's how the humility of God makes the message of Christ attractive. Do you want to yeah. uh, start that off with, for us?
0: I mean, this goes back to when I was taking a course in college, surveying all the world's, well, the world's five largest religions at the time. And, you know, I can tell you from my own personal searching that you will not find another God like Jesus. Jesus is the only God who comes down from heaven to humanity. I mean, Islam in the Quran talks about you know the the last days of judgment being like balancing on the edge of a double-edged sword it's like you don't really know what's going to happen you're just trying to earn favor in this life or um you know buddhism talks about us not really existing we just kind of pop out of existence when we achieve a certain level of knowledge Hinduism's all about karma it's about doing things yourself to try and get somewhere but Jesus makes it very plainly clear. It's not about humans guessing about what God wants. It's about God coming down to reveal to humans what he wants for them, which is, you know, full salvation and redemption. And <clears throat> I think part of what makes it attractive is the humility that we brought brought up because he's become a human. We know he was tempted in all ways that we are now, but he didn't sin. So we know that we serve a God who loved us enough to come down and do life with us not to make anything a mystery, but instead to reveal the mystery through himself and to also um, try to think about where I was going with that. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, he he gave us the template for what, you know, a godly and holy life to the extreme looked like. I mean, he was one of us. I mean, there's no mystery Um, and he paid it all for us. And everything about Jesus is relatable where I can't really say that about you know other sacred texts or something like that so those are just my thoughts on why it's attractive but
1: yeah I think that that that's a good thought just the idea that yeah God isn't unrelatable like he's sort of I mean he is he he is unlike us but yet that's the whole point of the incarnation or him yeah. coming to be with us in flesh is that he is now relatable yes. to us that, that we
0: he wants to make himself he, known and relatable yeah to he's us. revealed
1: himself I and mean, that's that's kind of the whole point like all of scripture leads up to this point and all of the rest of scripture in our life looks back to this point this this life of this person this person jesus because everything revolves around him because it's in and through his life that we have the clearest picture of who god is and Yeah, I mean, just to think about like our own failings and falters and and where we sin and fall short of God. It's interesting to think about that passage from Hebrews where it talks about Jesus having been tempted with all the same things that we're tempted with. Like we often can, I think, have the holiness of God pitted against our sinfulness to where it's like there's just they can never there can never be any sort of like communication or or understanding, if you will like god can just ne- could never understand what it's like to to have our life of sin like because sin's just so against his holiness and it's like then then how did jesus like it makes the whole life of jesus not really make any sense like the whole point is that he stepped into our reality and faced all of our same temptations head on but moved through them without giving into them He didn't take the lifelessness that that comes with giving into temptation, but instead chose life by trusting the way of his father and and persevering through it to, to to do things without sin because Jesus didn't need to give into the temptation believing like he'd have some sort of fuller life through those things because he already has the fullness of life and being connected to the life of God because he is God. And Um, Yeah, just the whole idea that we have someone who can relate to us in our failings. I think, like you said, you look at other religions or just other maybe uh, potential beliefs of of who God might be. It can just seem like God is just as far off being that could just never understand the things that we deal with. And yet scripture in the life of Jesus conveys very differently that he did very much step into our reality to, to face the very things that we deal with. They may have not taken the same shape in the first century but they're still the same root issues nonetheless that that we still deal with today and i know like in times of um in my life where i've had to deal with the ramifications of either choices i've made or choices that people have made toward me and i feel the the sadness that comes from those choices um it's been a great comfort to know like Jesus has dealt with these similar feelings of either betrayal before or being tempted to respond to someone else unkindly, but yet he chose the better way each and every time or entrusted himself to his heavenly father in the midst of those betrayals. And even though I'm experienced it, I know that the one who created me has also experienced those in a similar way, and I can entrust my life to him to help carry me through those things as well. Again, so there's that whole everyday life thing coming into play there. Again, it's not just the stuff that happens on Sunday. But you want to add anything more to, to this idea?
0: No, I think that's that's covered it pretty well.
1: All right. Well, we're going to move into a little bit more of a, a fun part of the podcast here where we, what are we calling this?
0: 168 Debate, where we give you our spiciest opinions from food to the NFL.
1: I knew I wasn't going to. <laughs> introduce it well so thank you all right you came up with this question so take it away
0: so our controversial topic for today is is nascar
1: a sport do you want to answer it first or do you want
0: me to i mean i can i mean it's gonna be like a cop out i mean i would have my definitive answer would probably be no i think there are a few there are a couple arguments for why it is a sport um One would be, you know, the precision that is required to, you know, drive a car at that kind of high speed and that stuff. But to me, it's like, you know, well, what else requires a large degree of precision and, you know, mental dexterity that isn't a sport? I mean, arguably timed chess (laughs) is that. I mean, you have to move incredibly quickly and it requires fine motor skills, but that doesn't make it a sport. The other thing is, you know, the risk of serious injury, you know, that, which qualifies it as a sport. But, you know, I mean, is skydiving a sport? I mean, arguably, you pose a great risk to yourself taking public transport. Is riding the bus a sport? Is driving your own car a sport that's directly comparable? I don't think so. So I, I think it's, a, like, a very, like, impressive skill, and it can be a competition and it could have all the accolades that come with a competition, but does it deserve the designator of sport? I don't think it does,
1: yeah, I mean, I think your point is or especially if you said that at the end, like the word competition, like does sport do sport and competition mean the same thing when we you like when we use those terms and I think we do probably use them as synonyms but then there's probably a little bit of difference of understanding for one term than the other i think when we think sport we probably think competition but maybe more in a physical exertion thing but i'm trying to think like back was it like middle age i mean like jousting and stuff like that like i mean there's physical nature to it but it's like also and i guess it's still physical exertion but I mean, but then you could say, like, his is mental exertion, like, part of that part of it, too? Or, like, you know, the mental exertion that went into building a car or a machine or whatever it may be, like, goes into that. And I think when we think of this question in, like, a Western sense, though, to me, competition has a lot to do with it. Like, I think it can be con- considered a sport if there's competition involved, because a lot of what sport is, is the, like pushing another each other to do better. And so like I mean, this can be the case in chess too, I guess. but like so in NASCAR, I mean a lot of it's like who can do the be- take the best tactics in driving or I mean from the engineering standpoint of like tweaking a car, whatever it may be. But ultimately it's like the better one person does, it forces another person to have to be better and so on and so forth. And it's just constant like pushing each other to do better in, in that realm. Um, I think sport also has to do with a lot more of like maybe the, I don't know, I feel like it's shallow to say entertainment, but like, because if you get more to like a, just for recreational or, um, I, I mean, I guess recreational fits. So, but like for like, yeah, entertainment, I think entertainment is really comes down to it because even if it's recreational, like it's still entertaining to the person playing it like it's for fun or like if you're doing it in high school or something like that like I mean to talk about football as a sport in high school it's still like entertaining it's entertaining probably for the person playing it but also for the the people watching it but it's very much in the western culture I think entertainment has a lot to do with the sport part of it although that's very much tainted the notion of what sport and competition is because it also can become very much just about making money and not about either the enjoyment of the sport or the, the competition or the act of what the competition can push another person to do. And so the the end goal can be something very different than just being better at this skill and rather yeah. like, well, I make X amount of money. Even if I don't win the ultimate thing or if I don't reach the the end goal, like I still was able to get whatever out of it. And, and I get there's the whole like people giving it our time and whatever to get a livelihood to of it and whatever. But I think short, my short answer is I think it can be considered a sport mostly because there's the competition part involved. I mean, this is like saying, is the spelling be a sport?
0: <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I, I think a sport requires a certain degree of athleticism, but I think it also takes into consideration the extremes that our culture puts things into it's like just like if something isn't a sport then it's like worthless it's like that's not necessarily true it's like just because you know i think nascar isn't a sport doesn't mean that i mean like people consider like achievements and like talent shows to be considerable and it's um you know that's fine i mean it's not knocking any achievements it's like incredible achievements but it's like is it requiring athleticism no i mean like you know, all all sports are competitions, but not all competitions are sports. I think that's just the logical thing, but that doesn't make either one better than the other inherently. It just makes them two different things. That's just my thing on it. It's like it doesn't matter, I guess.
1: Yeah. I, I, who picked I think, this question? What? <laughs> Did you say ridiculous question? No, I said who picked this oh. <laughs> question. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it comes down to determining, like a lot of it for a lot of people has to mo- more to do with, physical exertion involved and then that there's competition i think that's kind of a lot of where it comes down to but i think i think i'm fine with it being called a sport i don't really have an issue with it um i think the competition part has more to do with it i mean the better question might be like why aren't some other things considered a sport like you know as much as i don't really care about it but like dancing with the stars or something like that like it's a competition but why is it not considered a sport like there's physical exertion and all these different things like If you want to call it that, I don't necessarily see why you couldn't, but, like, there's just... We could flip it around and say, like, why aren't a variety of other things considered a sport? The
0: thing is, like, it wouldn't just be a sport. It would also be an art at the same time. Like, so people, like, just want to use one thing to determine what it is. It's like, well, it has sport-like qualities, but it's also, like, an art. It's like, it's not just a sport. It's like, you can't just devolve everything into one thing. It's like, come on, people.
1: (laughs) Anyway, but... So I think we're on differing sides is what I I gather here. But I guess you all watching and listening will have to decide who wins this debate. Who's right? (laughs) Let us know in the comments. Is this a
0: sport? (laughs) And smash that like button and ring the bell.
1: Yeah. (laughs) If you would would like and share the podcast, we would definitely appreciate it. Amen. That'll wrap up this episode of the 168 Podcast. Thank you for joining, and we'll catch you next time.
0: Bye, everybody.